Thank you for joining us today. My name is Amy, and I'm excited to introduce the first speaker in our president's series, Scott Pulsifer. Scott has served as president of Western Governors University, the nation's premier not-for-profit competency-based university since April of 2016, meeting all academic, operational, and organizational functions. He cultivates a student-first environment by using technology and data to improve learning outcomes, graduation rates, employment, and overall student well-being. Prior to joining WGU, Scott led several technology-based, customer-focused businesses, including Amazon, Sterling Commerce, now part of IBM, and two successful startups that traverse retail, supply chain, banking, payments, and manufacturing sectors. He serves on multiple higher education and technology boards, including education co-chair for the Committee for Economic Development, board member at the American Council on Education, an advisory board member at the President's Forum. Scott holds an MBA from Harvard University and a bachelor's degree in management from Brigham Young University. In today's discussion, we talk purpose, mission, values, innovation, and delivering on the true promise of higher education. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today, Scott. Oh, it's great to be with you, Amy. Thank you for having me. Wow. Well, I see, you know, as I'm talking through your, your background um, and, and I've, I've read a little bit about you, you've really started your career in technology-based business. And we've seen more and more presidents um, of colleges and universities come from the private sector and from technology. And I'm always curious, what drove your transition into higher education? Yeah, that uh, that is definitely, uh, I'm, I'm no longer the only peculiar one, if you will, in <laughs> higher education, that's for sure. Um, I think one of the, there were probably two things that ultimately made sense, and uh, both for the institution WGU as well as for me. First and foremost, that uh, even in my own uh, per- professional pursuits, I always had uh, strived, if you will, to have an impact on the lives of those with whom I worked. And, you know, that's particularly valuable sometimes in a startup environment when it's so mm-hmm. much is about whether or not you're creating an organization that you're proud of and that you can say we made that. But one of the things that I I learned pretty quickly about WGU is that its mission and that student-obsessed kind of student-centered view that we have and focus that we have at WGU, it was as real as anything I'd ever experienced. And uh, and it aligns so well intrinsically with me uh, that it just felt like it was something that, uh, that I had to be a part of. I almost couldn't imagine that, that a professional pursuit could include such a mission-driven endeavor. And this particularly became true when I had the opportunity to attend one of our commencements in February of 2016 before I joined. And um, at that commencement, we had the opp- I had the opportunity the night before to mingle with graduates, to learn about their backstories and, and where they came from and why they pursued uh, their degree program with WGU. And I was left with the sense that the attainment of their degree mattered more to them than mine did to me. And that's a way of saying that there was this recognition that they had, the path that they had been on had not been trod in the same way some of the paths had been trodden for me. It's not that I, that things came easy to me, but I, I was benefit, I benefited from the fact that uh, my parents had gone to college. I had seen the uplift that that created for them. My father was a first generation college graduate. So many of these individuals had overcome, uh, income you know, uh, barriers, they'd overcome time barriers, geographic barriers, you know, other uh, things that had kept them 
from being able to kind of progress through what was perceived as a normal post-secondary life, and they still attained it. And WGU was a part of that. And it just struck me that this was something that was having such a broad and large scale impact on the lives of individuals one by one. The other dimension to me was for WGU uh, was particularly relevant because of it, it, it aligned so much with my prior background. Here was an institution of higher education that was not ashamed about how to leverage technology to improve quality and the personalization of learning and the access to it and the affordability of it, that it fundamentally believed in that student-obsessed way in which we approach higher education, that technology was going to be a catalyst for the innovation that we were going to drive. And that resonated so richly with me that I felt like I also brought a lot to the table, having seen how technology can drive disruption and innovation in things like you mentioned, like supply chain, retail, logistics, payments, like so many of these things, uh, I had seen the benefit in other sectors. And there was no reason why we didn't think that that was possible in education as well. So that resonated with me as well. And, and it's been a great fit for, for me personally. And I hope that I've been a great fit for the institution and our mission. Yeah, I think, you know, that that conversation about purpose, mission and and values that that drives from from the startup organization, I can I can completely appreciate that. Um, you know, at Campus Logic, we were definitely a small startup when I when I joined the organization um, and and being able to being able to be at an organization where that mission transverses through the entire thing. Um, and, and really drives is is important. You know, the passion for technology, and I, I think everybody talks about innovation, um, and and I get frustrated a little bit sometimes by that. And because I think people talk about innovation, but aren't always necessarily acting on it. And we're really at an inflection point here in in education where we where we need to. And at WGU, I know you have more than 130,000 full-time students. Um, you're serving nearly 70% of those students are from an underserved population. Six-year graduation rates, though, are 10% higher than the national average for other not-for-profit colleges with open admissions. Like, what's your secret? What, what's, what's in the secret sauce at WGU? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it comes back to some big... Well, I will say it's somewhat ironic to me that uh, people uh, can wonder what our secret is or that somehow we have a secret uh, recipe to this. And it doesn't seem that secret. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I think it's that student focus that you know, I think we absolutely strive to be the most student-centric university on the planet, that uh, we are not confused about who we serve um, and about the mission that we have to um, to change the lives of individuals and families for the better and seeing education as the surest path to opportunity. And so when you take the student and put them at the center of everything that we do, then you really obsess about how do you improve the quality and relevancy of the learning? How do you improve the personalization of the learning to increase the probability of success? How do you make it more affordable and lower costs? And how do you make sure that the learning aligns with opportunity? And so um, you know, I like to say that we weren't designed for a pandemic, but it certainly has amplified our differentiation. And so, um, you know, some of the things that we just have, uh, have tried to stay focused on is how do we make sure that every practice that we have and how education is accessed and delivered, how individuals are taught, how they engage with our instructors and evaluators, 
how they experience the support and services that we provide them, all of them have a singular goal. How do we increase your success? How do we make it more possible for you to complete your courses, to progress on time, to persist from term to term, so that ultimately the promise of education can be true for you, that if you attain your credential, it will be the path to attaining opportunity and you'll achieve that economic and social mobility that education is a catalyst for. And so I think we've stayed focused on making sure that we overcome all the barriers that exist. I think that's one unique thing, obviously the pandemic is heightened now as to when we see classrooms and scheduled you know, lectures and geographic locations of campuses and a, a lecture model of teaching, like we see all of these as barriers to making access to high quality education uh, more democratized, more broad, uh, helping us reach and serve the underserved or those who have been historically disadvantaged. And so we have been focused on removing those barriers and increasing the personalization of the learning. And, and, and I suppose we are not surprised, but many others are, is that with uh, the population of students that we serve, we see really high uh, graduation and completion rates. We see even higher uh, outcomes in terms of employment and income gains. We see really high satisfaction rates with employers. And, uh, and we hope to be able to continue that. I think we're always trying to figure out how we do things in the future so that those, uh, those student success measures can even improve further. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Obviously, there's been a lot of disruption in in everybody's life um, over the last 18 months. I guess one of the good things for you is you didn't have to figure out how to do it remotely, did you? No, we did not. Uh, yeah, 100% of our students uh, are already learning remotely. If I may, Amy, one thing that uh, that was actually interesting that came out of uh, the current pandemic period is that the effectiveness of the mentoring model that we have at WGU was further amplified. And mentoring is not only about helping individuals learn and progress in their academic uh, journey, but it is actually the individual who helps them to deal with all the life's disruptions whether those be financial ones, whether they be even environmental barriers like hurricanes and fires, et cetera, that can often displace something. They can be challenges that in fact become, uh, uh, they become disruption in a student's progress through their academic journey. And I think many other institutions are discovering that this mentoring approach that WGU has, which is very deliberate and proactive. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you, uh, for those listening who don't know this, like every student from the day they start to the day they complete, they have a mentor assigned to them and the purpose and goal of that mentor is to help them continue to progress and persist in spite of all the normal life disruptions that occur. And those are so common among the working learner uh, students that we serve. And so that is something that we've seen is where there's particular value, especially in the midst of this broad-based pandemic impact that's uh, affected so many. Well, yeah, I, you know, as, as you look at just research around retention and affinity to, to a university, that can be even more difficult to build in a, in a remote setting. So these, these personal relationships that your students are building with, me, with your mentors, I'm, I'm sure, are one of the, the key components, one, to being able to educate them about access to resources, but, but just keeping them connected and and having having a place to go you know we've seen so many students traditional and non-traditional struggle um with just the the changes in in people's lives um yeah. go ahead You're right. can i can i offer one thing there too is Absolutely. that uh, 
you're right, because one of the things that I like to point out specifically is that in this mentoring advising approach, most have approached it from a response orientation or reaction orientation, meaning that it's incumbent upon the student, the individual, him or herself, to raise their hand and say, I have an issue, I have a challenge, et cetera. And so even the counseling support, et cetera, that is increasing here, it's still incumbent upon the student to access those services. We take a different approach at WGU. We make it very deliberate and proactive. And so we're getting more connected into the lives of our individual students. And uh, that mentor, you know, I think of just an example from 2017 when the hurricanes hit across Texas and Florida, the first individual that all of our students connected with was their mentor. It wasn't a student support call center or anything else like that. It was like, it's the mentor because the mentor has developed this personal relationship with the individual as, as someone they deeply care about the progress that they're making and everything else. And so having more of that deliberate approach, it certainly creates a different uh, resourcing and organizational model at WGU than most institutions have designed around. And we have centered again, more on the personalization of the learning rather than the more of the academic construct we're used to, which is development of content, lecturing and delivery of that content, office hours when a student can come who needs help if they want it. But we've taken much more of a outreach, you know, deliberate approach in engaging with our students. And that's having a big impact. And Gallup has, uh, they have partnered with us in surveying these graduate outcomes for, uh, for six, seven years now. And one of the things that consistently comes out in that is that having a faculty member who encourages my dreams and aspirations has a very high degree of correlation in a student responding to that at WGU because they have that mentor. And so the graduates and students at WGU are more than twice as likely to say that they had faculty that encourage their dreams and aspirations. And if you answer that, if I'm not mistaken, it's like they're two and a half times more likely to also say that their education was worth the cost. And so we can see that direct causal relationship that exists between uh, effective personal mentoring and actually achieving the outcomes that they came for in the first place. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty powerful. You know, I, I like to think that it wasn't that long ago that I was in college, but the reality is it was a while ago now. Um, and I don't think I could point to to a single um, instructor or, or individual at the university I attended that that had that impact. So I think that... Yeah. Those are things to be really proud of. And when we, you know, when we, we talk about this and we talk about student outcomes and kind of those relationships, it, it makes me think a lot about the promise of education. And I think that people, people always define kind of the promise of education in a lot of different ways. I, I link it a lot of times to the American dream. And I think that it's really a way to be able to help incrementally and generationally improve financial and, and social standings for, for students and family. And delivering on that promise has proved to be really challenging. <laughs> um, and so we've seen growing debates on value of college out there in, in the media, politicians, right? Students are, are questioning it. What needs to happen in order to shift the conversation around the promise and purpose of higher education? And how do we ensure that we're delivering on it at a higher rate? And I think you touched on some of this already, but would love to just have you dive into that a little bit more. This is actually, I think, the root of all things we're trying to solve for in higher education, because it is that promise of higher education. 
I think about it, I think we think about it, WG, very simply as this, which is if you attain the learning, the credential, the learning, whatever you need, uh, if you attain it, then you will attain opportunity. And I think all the surveys show that those who even pursue education, this is the primary reason they do so. It's like, what, 70-something plus percent of those surveys, that the reason they're going to college is to get a great job. And that promise has been declining for many for some time. The other thing that we have to deal with the statistics of in the U.S. is like that promise is not true for the vast majority of Americans, especially the, you know, I think it's roughly 33, 34% of the workforce uh, population in the US have a post-secondary credential um, or a a bachelor's degree. And uh, we certainly aren't succeeding very well if that's the largest number we can get to in terms of those having acquired post-secondary education and the credentials they need to change their lives. And so we do have to think about to reinvigorate that promise, we have to make sure that we're aligning the learning and the curricula Uh, to be aligned with the future of work. We have to make sure it's relevant to that, which in fact we're gonna do. We also have to understand is like, how do you better increase uh, the personalization of the learning so that those that are accessing it can can increase the probability that they're gonna be successful. Otherwise, the model that we have today is uh, serving the privileged well, but not serving uh, the underserved very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are other challenges specifically on affordability. around uh, you can't have an ever-increasing cost and expect to have the return on that investment hold. Um, And so, you know, if I were to focus on some of the things, I would say uh, the future work is accelerating faster than than the progress and the, the, you know, even the innovation that's occurring, not only in the curricula, but in the how we deliver education, such that the, the, the jobs uh, that are impacted by the pandemic, they have to be about being relevant to the jobs that we don't even know what they are yet. Meaning, what's that phrase where we say is like, the jobs are gonna be 10 years from now, haven't even been thought up, thought yeah, up of yeah, yet. Yeah. You know, that the pace of skills, or the pace of work is changing so quickly that the shelf life of the knowledge, skills and learning is also changing that quickly. And this rather standardized, almost centuries old model of a bachelor's degree is not advancing and changing fast enough to be aligned with that future of work. And so we do have to focus learning and post-secondary education on being relevant to the future. We have to be moving in that direction. And historically, you know, our post-secondary education system has been a laggard to these industrial revolutions. We're now at the fourth industrial revolution and now is the time that where we can dramatically improve that relevancy. As we do so, it also allows us to focus on increasing and expanding access so not just 33%, but 40% and 50% of our workforce that are holding post-secondary credentials. We have to address elements around affordability. We have to invest in a way that the promise works for everyone, not just the privileged. Yeah, and you know, I, I mean, I love your message around personalization. And and I think I've heard you talk about kind of the unbundling of the degree and and making it more of of a stackable progress um, or or outcome that becomes more relevant. I mean, is that the way we, is that the way we, um, we create a system that's, that's able to shift direction and, and more quickly? Because I feel like, I feel like sometimes it's really hard to 
turn the ship of what is higher education today. Yeah. Um, so how do we do that? How do we get more nimble in our education system? Yeah, the, uh, that is uh, certainly a challenge. If you consider all the systems and structures, let alone buildings and campuses and faculty tenure models and everything else like that, that have been structured around this idea of you have this 120 credit credential that is a blunt force instrument when it comes to readying you for work. And, and most employers then have to assess, the, do you possess the skills and knowledge, et cetera, to do the jobs I'm hiring you for? And if you don't, we're gonna invest in training programs to fill in the gaps. Um, you know, to solve this problem, I, I do think of a couple things. One is uh, institutions would be better served if they reorient their mission towards serving the student. Mm -hmm. um, uh, at WGU, obviously, that is a core, uh, the learner, the student is at the center of everything that we do. But you can see in many higher education institutions, they often have a multi-factor mission or there are multiple parts to what they believe that they're solving for. And having that learner first mission alignment is a place to start because when you do so, you also start thinking about the measures of success around that model and that model only. And you're gonna start focusing on innovating in the things that you can do with urgency in that area. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is that uh, um, institutions have to start thinking about this away from a one and done model of education to a continual learning model, which is more like a ladder of progress. Like if I'm starting on my ladder of life, you know, like I step onto the first rung, but not all rungs after that are determined by having this one credential I got over four years, et cetera. Like you're going to have learning weave into all the subsequent steps along that ladder. Why? Because the skills again and the shelf life of them are changing so fast. So how can I also acquire learning in smaller chunks that are more relevant to the short-term advancements that I need to see within the skills and knowledge I have to have? If I were to suggest to institutions as to how they increase the speed and the agility that they need to do this, they might want to start thinking about how they do that outside of their core operations. You know, and you've seen this with some institutions, whether it's Southern New Hampshire University, ASU, uh, even Purdue and others, that many of these uh, online endeavors that they have or micro-credential programs, they're doing so as almost like startups inside their broader systems because the goals and the measures of success are different than those goals and measures of success that they may have around their traditional systems. That helps increase the pace of innovation that's needed to happen around some of these advancements that we'll see take uh, greater root and start to expand into our future. Um, I say that because there's a lesson there from even in the formation of WGU, the governors of 19 Western states that all had their own public institutions of higher education they decided to fund with their seed funding a private nonprofit institution. That there was some recognition that if this was gonna succeed, it had to be uh, untethered, if you will, from the core operations of that which already existed because it was gonna be measured differently. It needed to focus on different priorities, invest in different things, et cetera. And that certainly uh, afforded us the runway we needed to scale to proving out the idea, to proving out the market, to proving ultimately WGU as an institution of higher education can be reinvented from the ground up. Yeah, to your, to your point, it really requires, it requires a different mindset, right? To, to be able to 
manage in the the traditional system versus this this newer system or evolution that that we need to move to to be a little bit more nimble. Um, yeah, that's why I started at that point. Is like you first have to be asking the question: Is that who is the primary uh, customer individual that we're serving? What's our core mission about that? When you start there, you start to realize measures of success success are going to be different. Operational models are going to be different, and you have to have the the you know the the freedom and agency to execute on that uh, that endeavor that's somewhat not anchored by core operations that has uh, that has their own priorities and, mm-hmm. and goals and measures of success, and those seldom can be commingled to the success of both. Yeah. Well, now that we've solved all issues with, you know, the traditional delivery method here and engaging students, um, I feel also not only is our traditional model, you know, of delivery maybe need a little bit of of attention or or, or focus, um, but we also have some some broken elements when we come to to cost and outcomes um, at at an institution. And so at most schools, we see the cost of education, it's increasing well above the rate of inflation. Um, We see rising student debt levels at most institutions, um, often making it harder to really obtain a true return on investment for our students. And when you add to that, that higher ed, like we've talked about, right, has kind of gotten handcuffed to the bachelor's degree in many people's minds. We've talked about this a little bit, but how do we, like, what's the better vision of the cost and the return on investment? Is it really about that ladder that you were just talking about? You know, um, first and foremost, I think you're starting to highlight some of the measures of success of post-secondary education that we believe in that many institutions don't actually uh, focus on as much. And that Let's is- talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the simple things is that uh, if we want to reinvent higher education, we also have to recast the measures of quality in higher education. Uh, think of how much is dependent upon uh, things like selectivity and exclusivity mm-hmm. rather than access and outcomes, um, or there's non-student related endeavors about quality of life or athletics performance, you know, things like that. Like those are there, they may be related to, but they're often secondary tertiary measures that in fact are not directly impacting the return on the investment that we're asking individuals to make or their parents to make in some cases. And so I think if we want to increase the efficiency of our post-secondary system, like we have to believe that it's po- you know, possible to graduate more than 60% of those who start. You know? mm-hmm. um, I think we do have to consider new models of learning because the traditional models can create so many barriers to working learners, to the, you know, to the, uh, to the learner of today whose characteristics are way different than the romanticized version of the 18-year-old high school graduate who's gonna go live on campus and have this awesome student life experience. And, and there's data already from, uh, from higher learning advocates and, uh, and third way, et cetera, that highlight that, that today, 50 to 60% of students are working part or full time. Mm-hmm. A quarter of students have children. Only 13% of freshmen live on a campus. Like they, are, they have so many more demands on their time that we haven't adapted the learning model uh, to serve those students really well. And if we aren't gonna provide greater flexibility in how they consume content, engage with faculty, work with mentors, 
take their ta- test and exam, we're going to keep individuals from succeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing maybe I'll, I'll share on this one is that, you know, the traditional bachelor's degree, it's going to continue to carry value, but it's only going to be part of the story. And the reason I say that, that's more associated with the one and done model that is very much, I think, of the past versus today, we'll have to expand a portfolio offering that has more, uh, that meets workers and learners where they are. And then that notion of ladder of progress, like you may be a mid-career professional who needs to advance their STEM-related skills, whether you're a teacher or whether you're working in a banking field or something like that. I can't go back to a program that takes four years to complete. I need short duration programs that can actually be relevant to what I'm pursuing next. And so how do we have more workforce relevant credentials how do we enable this notion of a lifelong learning loop such that I can, uh, that I can access the learning and, the, and gain the credentials that are relevant to the next opportunity I want to pursue? We also still have to hold ourselves accountable to the outcomes of that, by the way. You can't charge $50,000 for that and expect a $50,000 a year you know, income uh, gain as the only reasonable outcome of that investment. You're like, how do you make sure that the economic outcome is also relevant to the investment the individual has to make? And ultimately, I would say that's all dependent upon those data-driven insights to say, where is work going? What is the learning that's required? How does an individual help compass themselves through that path so that I know what I need to gain now for my first opportunity or now for my next opportunity and making that learning loop uh, possible in the future? So continuing kind of on this idea of value of higher education, um, so I'm really personally passionate about this idea that we talk about at Campus Logic student financial success. And so in its simplest form, this is about reducing the number of students who have debt without a degree, right? And it ties back even to what you're talking about, that 60% completion, right? Not enough. Um, about transparency, about cost, financial fit, affordability, um, ability to, to pay, reducing the student debt problem. Uh, what has WGU already done to overcome these financial challenges and, and student debt challenges that we see so prevalently in, in the media? And what, um, what improvements or student outcomes have you seen? Yeah, the, uh, I was, I was going to joke, it's like, this is one area that we're really aligned in. I was going to joke, it's like, wait, you're worried about student financial success at Campus Logic? <laughs> like, this is like so core to, I think, uh, your endeavor, and it's so core to also our endeavor, because it comes back to starting with that promise of higher education. It's like, if you finish your program, it's the surest way to get a return on your investment. And the better measures or even best measures of access is not starting. It's actually graduating and gaining employment. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, the easiest part of, of helping individuals in that is, is the enrollment part. That's the easiest part. The hard part is helping them complete. So I would say that, you know, that's where we started with this student financial success, that the most important thing is that we help you complete because that is the most likely catalyst for you then gaining the economic return, the engagement, the well-being, the social mobility that you desire. That's the most important focus. The second thing that WGU is that we emphasize the cost of acquiring the education over how to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty atypical, I would say, among our institutional peers, because when you have free flowing federal student aid, 
you have state budgets if you're a public institution funding a good portion of your operations. There's not a lot of incentive to keep costs low if there are always increasing ways by which students and their parents are, can finance it. We just took a different approach. We emphasize how do you make as low cost as possible, as affordable as possible? And with that premise, then we can move to then our third focus, which is how do we help students make better decisions about their financing? And in this regard, some of the notable things that we've achieved is that, that, uh, that the average debt per graduate at WGU has declined 34% since 2014 at WGU, where we've gone from about $20,000 in debt per graduate to today, we're just over $14,000 in debt per graduate. Um, it's notable that our average debt at graduation for our first generation college students is actually lower than that of our graduates whose parents attended college. Wow. Meaning it was actually less expensive for them to attain their degree than it was for their parents who attended college. And so that, you know, that, the fact that that a disparity remains at all means we still have a lot to do, but this responsible borrowing initiative that we have, it's simply providing the tools and the information that they need to have so they make better decisions about how they finance uh, their education with WGU. Notably, we've also reduced the number of graduates who even finance their degree uh, at WGU with, or even finance it with federal student aid or otherwise to where Roughly now, only about 55% of our students are actually utilizing aid in some form uh, to attend WGU. Um, and so this is one of those great things where if you focus first and foremost on helping students acquire the credential they came for, focus on cost first, and then make, help them be informed to make reasonable decisions about how they pay for that cost and taking the lowest cost away and to, to finance that, all of those work for the benefit of our students' financial success and uh, increases that, uh, that promise of higher education. Yeah, and, and you guys have just done such tremendous things around this, around, you know, to your point, simplifying the cost, communicating the options and, and really presenting them to the student and, and removing the mystery um, about how much they they actually need to borrow versus maybe should borrow um, and and trying to reduce that. And I think it's it's one of the places that those of us, like I come from a financial aid background and and we always get worried about some of some of those areas where you guys have really embraced the opportunity and the regulation and said, no, we can do this, right? We yeah. can recommend um a lower borrowing amount while still making it available. And yeah. we need to do more of that. Yeah, uh, in the recent Gallup survey uh, of just the most recent past, which also occurred by the way, during the pandemic year, the survey that is of graduates are during this pandemic year, uh, the Gallup survey of our alumni, they it found that 77% of them felt their degree was worth the cost. And this was more than twice as high compared to the national average, which is only 37% of graduates nationally believe that their uh, degree was worth the cost. And, and I, we do feel quite uh, satisfied and proud about that number, but we're not done yet. But at least is saying when you make it affordable to begin with, when we have this fixed rate, uh, fixed tuition model for six months, but you can complete as much as you're able, mm -hmm. uh, competency base allows individuals to go at the pace that's right for them but you also keep tuition really low. 
you inform them as the best way in which to finance their education. Uh, they take the lowest amount needed so they can reduce the debt at graduation. Like all of these are going to increase the promise for them and increase their financial success and ultimately result in that 77% number saying it's worth the cost. Yeah. You know, those, those alumni outcomes, they just, they speak for themselves. And I just blown away, always blown away by, by those, um, those responses that you guys get and, and how successful the entire WGU team has really been on delivering on that mission that those 19 governors who established the university set out to accomplish around expanding access um, and quality access to, to higher education. Yeah. Um, so for me, I just, I really want to thank you so much for your, your generosity and sharing your time with us today. I've enjoyed getting to, getting to sit down and chat with you, learn from you, and just wanted to give you an opportunity if there are any final thoughts or advice that you'd like to leave our audience with today to, to close us out. Well, thank you so much for that, Amy. It's, it's truly been a pleasure. I just want to also extend uh, how much we commend you for the work that you're doing at Campus Logic to make sure that, in fact, the promise of education is real and we're expanding access to high quality education with great outcomes. And that includes uh, having really strong uh, financial decision making, understanding the return on the investment that uh, the individuals stand to achieve if they pursue education, how well it's tied in with the future work. And that we can, in fact, uh, increase uh, access to this pathway. It is so critical for advancing our, our families, our individuals, our communities in which we live, and our society as a whole. It's just great to be aligned with organizations like yourself in this regard. And if there were any one thing I'd come back to uh, that everyone should take away is maybe just that student-obsessed you know, student-centered focus that if you put the individual at the center of everything that you endeavor to do, it will drive uh, increase in outcomes. It will improve the quality. It will allow us to think differently about the measures of success and the measures of quality in higher education. All that starts with really understanding that, uh, that our mission is to change lives of individuals and families for the better. Absolutely. And, and, you know, um, we, we love it when we get to work with colleges that that's more than just a slogan, slogan on their wall. Um, and, and the way you and your team embody that in your approach to everything um, should be something that every one of the colleges and universities in this nation strive to do. Well, thank you.